Happy Thursday evening, Dog Nation. My name is Brandon Adams. This is Cover 4 Live. Happy to have Jeff Sintel, Mike Griffith on hand. Connor Riley will be with us in a mere matter of moments as we talk about everything going on around Georgia football. And maybe, thankfully, we won't be talking as much about injuries as we have been over the course of the last few days. Obviously, the tough situation for wide receiver George Pickens a week ago, followed up by just a couple of days ago, wide receiver Jermaine Burton. Dog Nation seemingly in a better mood. I mean, the entirety of the fan base, not just the three people speaking here in front of you right now, that the Burton injury appears to be less severe than it otherwise could have been. So, Mike, let me begin with you on this. First of all, good Thursday evening to you, and I'm glad to be able to see you. What have we missed while we've all been worried about injuries? What has been going on? Can you give me some good news that's kind of mixed in with otherwise what has been, boy, a lot of hand-wringing on the part of Georgia fans? Yeah, there has been, B.A., you know, between George Pickens and, and Jermaine Burton's scare. I think the tight ends are having a really good spring. You know, I think there are other answers. I think there are other good players. And, and you really want these other players to come to fruition anyway, but now you need them to. You need to know that John Fitzpatrick is having a good spring. You need to know that uh, Brock Bowers, that the, the uh, California unicorn, as is, is Centel's intel uh, told us, is, is truly – everything he was supposed to be, and maybe even more. Um, I think you need to know that guy like Justin Schaefer is stepping into that role. Teams are at their best when their seniors are leading and are having their best seasons. And certainly if Kirby sending Justin Schaefer out to talk to us, that's a good sign. That means good things are happening. Uh, you need to know that Jalen Kimber is panning out at corner, albeit needs to add some weight. So there's some good news going on and certainly – and, and I'll let you hand the baton to Mr. Sintel, but there's been a lot of good news on the recruiting front, true. Yeah, there certainly has been. We'll obviously look forward to getting into that over the course of our time this here this evening. But, you know, Jeff, one of the names that Mike mentions that I think that, you know, maybe we don't talk enough about because, look, in that tight end core, and I think there's a lot of belief among Georgia fans that, hey, this offense could really go to the next level if you can involve the tight ends a little more efficiently than you have in the past. I've said a, a whole bunch. I just like tight end football. I think that's a, a really valuable position. You obviously see that at the NFL level. And, you know, Darnell Washington is so exciting because he's a former five-star prospect. Visually, he just looks different than almost any player you've ever seen Georgia have. And, you know, Brock Bowers comes over from California. There's a little bit of energy around that kind of recruitment, that kind of signee. The truth is, Jeff, I think John Fitzpatrick, who's been here for a while, part of the class of 2018, kind of, in some respects, old hat to many Georgia fans. I think John Fitzpatrick can really play. And there were some moments last year, especially when JT Daniels settled in as a Georgia quarterback, Daniels used Fitzpatrick pretty effectively. So as, as much as we're excited about seeing, you know, Darnell Washington, and we should be, as much as we're excited about seeing Brock Bowers, and I think that he'll potentially really pay off on that. Honestly, I think John Fitzpatrick can play at this level too. I think he's proven that some already in the Georgia uniform last year included. Yeah, there's a lot to look at, uh, Brandon. I, you know, and I, I guess I want to. I want Mike's thoughts on this because Mike was the guy that was programming up at least a 75, 80 catch season for for George Pickens. And I don't know, man, if if you can get fifty catches out of those three tight ends, would we call that a win right there uh, for the twenty twenty one season? If you can get, I don't know, twenty five, twenty five, and twenty, maybe um, that would be seventy. But if you get like 70 catches out of those guys, uh, you'd have something. And I, I, I know this is not going to sound uh, sensational. It's not going to sound like, you know, hey, let's go get a tailgate going right now and listen to some Munson. But for me, 
uh, George Pickens was such a Pickens was such a transcendent player, so much skill level. And for really, this was a year for Pickens to make that first round money to make those stats that that Mike Griffith was calculating up for for GP one. And you know, very unfortunate about the injury, but but somehow, when I just look at the pieces on the field logically, I didn't know how you could get uh, a breakout year for Darnell Washington, a breakout year for Arian Smith. Um, some good freshman uh, All-American team type stuff from Brock Bowers. I didn't know how Georgia was going to get to all those pieces offensively with Pickens being a first-round receiver. Now, most people would argue, Jeff, that's what Georgia needs. They needed Pickens to go for 75 and 1,200 and 14 touchdowns. Of course, everyone needs a Jamar Chase season like that. But for me, somehow – uh, I think it magnifies the talent Georgia still has on that side of the ball, and especially guys that got to keep blooming. And it's not just the tight end position. Um, like, I, I didn't foresee a way, Brandon, that uh, Arian Smith would be able to, you know, get a 40-catch, 820-yard season and 12 touchdowns maybe for Georgia to be really dynamic. And what this does, and this is going to sound like a car, cold, hard, calculating football mind here, but it's a next man up game. And thankfully, uh, like we put a cover four up this week, fellas, about the deepest position on the team. And I almost thought about wide receiver simply because that's the one position on the team where you, if you looked at any other spot on the field and said, I'm going to take away your four more, most talented players. And arguably that would be Burton Pickens, Blaylock and Rosamy right, right now. Uh, and you're still going to have names like Karis Jackson, uh, Arian Smith, Lad McConkey. And Adane Mitchell, I'm going to say that name a lot, a lot. Adane Mitchell, that was the guy that didn't even have a senior uh, season last fall. His senior season was in 2019. I think it just shows Georgia, gives Georgia a chance to show a lot more of these guys off. Mike, I joked on my show this week that had Jermaine Burton's injury been more serious, the kind of thing that would have potentially caused his, called his season into question, that I didn't have the ammunition or the energy to come on the show and do the whole next man up, Georgia's still loaded receiver. You're going to just sort of go to battle with who you got. I mean, it might would have been true, and there still could have been a way that maybe Georgia could have mitigated against the loss of even a Burton injury to go along the Pickens injury. But I told the audience, I said, listen, in the immediate aftermath, I just wouldn't have had the juice to be able to go out there and do it. I just wouldn't have been able to. So I can tell you this, in light of what you know, all the stuff that Jeff just said there, Mike, I'm breathing a huge sigh of relief as a fan, as someone who cheers for Georgia on Saturday, who's glad when they win, who's sad when they lose. I'm just really happy that we're not having to figure out how Georgia puts a core together at the receiver position that doesn't include Burton because it was going to get really, really hard to do so. Yeah, there would have been a lot of more untested pieces out there. Albeit or guys coming back from their own injuries that all of a sudden now you're having to ask for a lot more from. Yeah, yeah, we really we don't. Yeah, we don't really know how Dominic Blaylock comes back. We're all presuming the best because we know he's a very hard worker, but mm-hmm. he has injured it twice now, and that's always scary. We're still hearing people say Zamir White's going to start looking like himself, and it's been a couple years later. So we don't really know what we get from Dom. I, I think you know what you get from Kiaris Jackson. I don't think he's a first round talent. I don't think he's Jermaine Burton at the combine. Certainly, he doesn't have those kind of numbers and explosion and speed but he's a tough guy. Not sure what we get from Justin Rob- Robertson, a- another blue collar player, a tough guy. I think he'll end up third down guy and end zone target, but he's not George Pickens. 
So I think your point is valid. I think you need a guy like Burton who brings that uh, dynamic element, that speed, that playmaker ability. And yet and still, uh, to answer Jeff's question and, and, and go more back towards yours, I think you've got to look for James Cook to get more mm-hmm. targets. I think we knew Darnell Washington was going to be a factor, but I think the John Fitzpatrick's, maybe they split him out wide. I've, I've heard he's doing really good things. Uh, and, and maybe Brock Bowers does grow up that quickly. It's just a lot to ask. And, you know, we've kind of all been playing this game, I suppose, or wondering in our minds if if Georgia could fall in line with the with the Trevor Lawrence freshman Clemson team. And then it was LSU with the great offense. And then it was Alabama. And, and now maybe it's Georgia's turn. Well, I think JT Daniels plays the part. I think the offense's line is ready. And I think your running back backfield is deep enough. But do we really believe that even with Jermaine Burton back, that this receiving core can be on par with 2019 Clemson, 2020 LSU, uh, and the 2021 uh, college football playoff championship team, Alabama? Do we believe that? I think it's, look, I think it's really hard, Mike, to do that. Even if you have George Pickens, it's just hard to be as successful as those wide receiver cores are. So with respect to how difficult it is and the fact that a lot of people are going to aspire, a lot of teams are going to aspire to be that good and not, and not achieve that level of success, with respect to it, I still think it's a possibility, right? I mean, because I, I do think that, you know, the, this, Tom Fornelli from CBS Sports had a good article this week about, you know, some of the stuff that Burton did do a year ago, you know, average route depth, you know, yards per target, you know, especially when Daniel's kind of got going, that's a theme that you're going to keep saying over and over again. Some of these guys just found more success when Daniel started throwing the football that, that you know, Jermaine Burton can have a really big season, that that he's probably not at, certainly as polished at this point in his career as, as George Pickens would have been in year three. But I do believe that Burton has the capability for a big season. And now you're going shopping for, well, who's next? Is it Arian Smith simply because he's really fast? It might be. I mean, you know, that's a guy that at least has the potential. But, but boy, you hadn't seen a lot of him yet. So it makes you a, a little bit nervous. And, you know, you mentioned Kyrus Jackson as maybe not a first-round talent. And obviously some of the guys that have been exploding onto the scene for these high-powered offense in recent years – they have been first round level, you know, players, but you know, they're not necessarily all that way. And, you know, I mean, it's possible to be just a good player and still be good enough for George in that spot. So between Kiaris, who's, you know, you know, clearly a weapon, he had back to back hundred yard games a year ago, Mike between Arian, who's got the speed Burton, who may have the, as close as you have to the full package right now, hopeful for injury returns for some of these guys. You know, it's on paper, it's not quite as like locked down as it was with some of these teams before. But I'll, I'll tell you this, though. I mean, Jamar Chase, when he won the uh, Bolitnikov for LSU in 2019, this is not a former five-star receiver. He was like number 84 recruit in the country coming out of high school. So not everybody who explodes was George Pickens level, top four receiver in the country, top five, whatever he was. Um, not everybody who has great years necessarily has those same credentials. So that part of it at least gives me hope. And then when you start bringing in Ohio State, Oklahoma teams like that, they've even gone farther down the trough than that in terms of recruiting profiles for some of their receivers who've had great seasons. So, Mike, I think your question's a valid one. It's not easy to do, but it's also, I guess, not impossible either, right? So, guys, here's what I believe. Here's what I believe, Brandon. Um, First of all, Mike's point, if anybody in this panel expects Georgia to get up even with Pickens to 2019 LSU or 2020 Alabama, that's not going to happen. 
I think here's well, what then, I believe. Well, then, then, then well, you better be making plans for Tampa or Orlando or somewhere like that. If you're not scoring 45 points a game, Jeff, you're, you're playing a game on ABC at 11 a.m. on New Year's Day. Yeah, yeah. So here's my point. Here comes my point. Uh, you've got the situation there where I think Georgia's main strength is they had the most coming back. They had more coming back than Alabama. They had more coming back than Ohio State. They had more pieces coming back than Clemson. I don't think anybody's going to get there, Brandon. But I think what it is is who's back, who's bringing back the most toys and the most special football players on offense. I think Georgia really had a shot there. I don't think anybody's going to replicate those great teams, but I think Georgia's bringing back more than those other squads. That's actually a really interesting point. Connor, let me bring you in on this. And by the way, it's good to have you this here this evening. So I guess I'm kind of the mindset that we're going to exceed the boundaries of human achievement every single season when it comes to offensive football. But, I mean, our team's going to score 50 points a game because that's sort of like the next level we haven't gotten mm-hmm. to yet. What are the chances, kind of, that Jeff's right, that we just take a step back offensively because – I'm talking about we as a country, not we as, yeah. as the Georgia Bulldogs <laughs> here. But we just take a step back offensively because we're sort of due for a regression back to the main. And all of a sudden, we don't have a national champion that averages more than 45 points a game, something we've done at least in the last two years. And go back to Clemson in 2018, they averaged 42-plus points per game are we just going to take a step back this year? Because at some point in time, you're just due to do that. Maybe. I think the thing that I'm thinking about is though, what have we seen defensively, at least in the changes in college football, even schematically that would lead you to think maybe the defenses candidly slow these offenses down a little bit and make it a little bit more of a less high scoring game. Really right now, my understanding of it is there just aren't a lot of answers out there for these defenses. They're going to have to, you know, I, Kirby Smart, you know, I, I think he, more than anyone, doesn't want to necessarily change the way that you play defense, but he's realized and understood to win in this modern era, you have to score a ton of points and defensively get after the quarterback, force negative plays in the line of scrimmage. And, and really for a guy who made his bones as a defensive back coach, I'm sure that has to really frustrate him. But while like, sure, you could see some regression to the mean and you might see a team more in that Clemson range where they're scoring 42 points a game you're still going to have to score at least six touchdowns a game to win consistently at that highest level there. So it might not be 49 points a game, but I, from what I haven't seen from these defenses so far, you're still going to have to score quite a bit to win at that high level in college football. Mike, let me bring you back in here. Can Georgia win a national championship this season averaging less than 40 points a game? They can because of their schedule. Um, When it gets down to uh, the end of the season, though, to Connor's point, to your point, uh, if you're going to beat Alabama in the SEC championship game or, or whoever you want to plug in there, I, I, don't, I don't think Sam Pittman and the Hogs will be there, but I'm not convinced that Bryce Young and the, and the read option is going to be nearly as dynamic as, as Mac Jones was last year. Uh, but to, to win the SEC championship game, uh, to win in the college football playoffs against, you know, Pennsylvania, and Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson, whoever. Uh, yeah, yeah. To beat Clemson, you're going to have to score points, even in the opener. The opener is mm-hmm. going to be really – uh, interesting and intriguing in many ways because that Georgia's secondary is going to be so young and we're going to have to see if Kirby really can hold his breath and, and let his offense go and, and turn those ends loose to try to protect that young secondary. I think there's going to be a lot of gambling. I know you like that BA with the, with the havoc. You like those sacks. Yeah. I think Kirby's going to turn them loose. The writing's on the wall with Adam Anderson as a star. He ain't out there to cover Pat to cover receivers. He's in there to bring another edge rusher to make life miserable. So uh, I think the first game is going to be telling. And then the other question is, and I hate to bring it up because I know everybody thinks positive around here, and we want to stay very positive, 
But, you know, can you, you know, can, can you protect JT Daniels all season? You couldn't even protect Stetson Bennett. And, and he was a guy that could move around pretty good. And you couldn't even protect him. Now, part of it was he called the wrong protection on that touchdown pass. He didn't run the offense as well as he should have in that particular occasion. But still, there was a breakdown. And you got to wonder about this offensive line. We don't even know who the left tackle is going to be. We know they got a good recruiting ranking. We know Jeff's done some great interviews. Whoever it is, Broderick Jones, Amarius Mims, Xavier Truss. Centel's been in their living room and done videos on them. So we're good with any of them. We can read 10 stories on them. But which one's it going to be? We still don't know. I think that's an interesting point, Mike. And I do want to try to get some offensive line talk before we're done here. Let me do two things real quick, though, before we do that. Jeff, since you started this little sort of mini conversation, I'll come back to you. Can Georgia beat Clemson week one with fewer than 40 points? Will the winner of that game's final score start with a three? Or, or does it have to be four? I, I just think – I just don't know if that first game that these teams will be in sync well enough to do that. Uh, I think a game in the 30s seems legitimate. Uh, maybe we talk special teams touchdowns or something like that. But, um, you know, I think everybody on this panel would agree if Georgia finds a way to beat Clemson 37 to 34, 38, 35, 34, 31, uh, they're not going to argue some semantics. But I think the clear point is here for Georgia to get in the 30s. It's going to have a lot of stats next to JT Daniels in his name. Okay, I want to put a pin in Mike's thing about the offensive line because I do think that's important. But, Connor, uh, defensive, we haven't even talked about that yet. Other side of the ball here, you know, what have we learned? You know, what's been going on over there for that guy who or gal who's been doing Little League baseball and working and all that kind of stuff? You know, give me the thumbnail sketch of what has happened thus far this spring defensively for that person who's just been busy. Yeah, so Lewis seen the first day he said it, and I believe it's still true all the way through now. If you're an able-bodied defensive back or, you know, a, a player on this Georgia team – Georgia's going to try you out a cornerback to see what they have back there. They recognize the area of need that this, that this is. There's no sugarcoating it with them. And so because of that, I think you're seeing so many different combinations. And this is a battle that's going to go well into August and even, I think, into the season. The other – if I if I give you one name that impressed – I don't know if that's the right word, but the, the, the flashing lights went off. Uh, Trayvon Walker, I think this guy – Everyone knows who he is. He is a name every Georgia fan knows or at least should know. And I think the way that he is being talked about, we got to talk to him on Tuesday, the way he thinks he can go out and perform this season, I think he is someone who is going to go from a name every Georgia fan knows to a name every SEC fan knows. And I think that is a huge and critical development for this Georgia defense. I completely agree on all fronts. I mean, he's just visually a stunning-looking player. And you know, this junior season for him could be the time that it kind of all comes together. Jeff, let me get you to react to what Mike said a moment ago. And I think this is really important if you want to jump back to offense there for a moment. I'm assuming the offensive line kind of comes together and it's probably fine. Is it a great strength or is it just kind of a solid group? You know, that remains to be seen, but I'm assuming it's not a huge problem. But boy, you know, I think one of the most interesting things for me on G-Day, there's always that moment early in the game, you're just trying to figure out what's happening on the field. Figuring out that five that's on the field to start with what I guess will be the red team offense typically is that the first team offense usually. Um, I, um, I that's going to be one of the most fascinating moments of the entire G day just to see the five offensive linemen protecting for JT Daniels to begin that scrimmage. I tell you, you're 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 right on where I kind of think about that, Brandon. I think the most fascinating thing for me is uh, what the what the both offensive lines are going to look like because. 
if you got JT Daniels on one side, you got Carson back on the other, another guy that's having a fantastic spring. You think he's the number uh, two quarterback right now? I, I don't know if we're playing a game tomorrow. I know we know how this coaching staff thinks about wanting guys that have started big games and won big games and taken big snaps. But uh, I think if you have a long-term uh, solution, you have to have it, the number two quarterback. I think that's back. But think about this, Brandon. Think about let, let's just go let, let's just go fantasy world here and say the the first team offensive line goes uh, Xavier Trust, Jamari Sawyer, Warren Erickson. Justin Schaefer, and then Warren McClendon. That's pretty sporty. But think about that second team offensive line, because then you could roll in there and you could go, uh, you could go, let's just be crazy with it. Let's go Broderick Jones. Uh, let's go uh, the, the left guard. Let's move in a name that I don't know if not enough people are talking about. Austin Blasky, maybe somebody like that. who's quietly working his way into the top 10, 12 linemen on the team. And then your center, Cedric Von Prahn. Now everybody's starting to really think about something. Your other right guard is uh, Tate Ratledge, and then your right tackle is Amarius Mims. All of a sudden, Brandon, you're thinking, well, let me look at that second-team offensive line over there too. And Mm -hmm. here's my point about the protection. I just named a bunch of names, and I named a bunch of names because I really think that uh, that offensive line play is going to be stellar. If that's not stellar to very good or as good as anybody else in the SEC, that's a problem because Georgia's got better groceries, period, than anybody else in the conference at the offensive line spot. Last thing, and I want to change the subject. Uh, Mike, do you favor a name right now at that left tackle spot? Is there is there a name, either based on what you're hearing or just based on your own perception of the matter? Um, if you had to pencil in uh, the best name at left tackle that helps George the most, you favor somebody at the moment? Yeah, you know, against Clemson, I think you go with trust just because he played in the game, but I wouldn't be surprised if Roderick Jones ended up being the starter. I just don't know when. Does he, does he make the start against Clemson? Uh, how strong does he get? I'll tell you one thing, though, listening to, to Centel Zentel up there, I'm starting to favor whoever the second-team quarterback is in the G-Day game because that's a pretty good offensive line, and they're going to be going up against, what, the second-team uh, – no, oh, actually, wait, they'll be going up against the second-team defense, right? Second-team O gets first-team D. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then the No, that's not the way they start the game. They go good on good to start, at least they typically have. Well – yeah, this is not one of those. Listen, this is a hot button topic for me. There are a lot of teams in the SEC that essentially have rigged spring games where they play the number one offense against what I'll kindly call the number two defense because they're looking to see points scored. George is not one of these teams that rigged spring right. game. They go good on good at the beginning. I think, I think Kirby actually rigs it against the starting quarterback. He does. He has. I would say, yeah, in the past, you go back and look at some of the numbers from Jakey Beeson's uh, second spring game, Jake Fromm's second spring game when you had East, uh, when you had Fromm as a freshman and then Fields as a freshman. He wants to make it intentionally as tough as he can on his quarterbacks. Whether that's a, a good thing for their development, I don't necessarily know if that's the case, but uh, he wants to make it a, a, a tougher on the starting quarterback that day. That's why I don't think you're going to see a lot of rushing carries or attempts in that game. I said to B.A., Earlier this week, if I could set the over-under for rushing attempts in this game or spring game, scream scrimmage, whatever you want to call it, I'd set it at 10, and I would even hope that it'd be under, it goes under that. Yeah, pretty, pretty interesting I, stuff all the way around. Go ahead, Jeff. Last word belongs to you on this topic. Something to think about here. Everybody talks about Jones. Is he a plus pass protector? Definitely. Is he maybe a neutral run, run grader, road grader? Yes, but think about who they're playing. Clemson, Miles Murphy, Brian Brzee. Great sharp teeth pass rushers for Clemson. And if all things are equal, I'd probably put Broderick out there as a pass protector because what are you going to do with JT Daniels to beat Clemson? You're not going to run the stretch play. You're not going to run it out wide in between the tackles. 
you're going to throw it around. So go with your best pass protector. Yeah, that's Clemson defensive line. That defense front all the way around. Still very, very good. It's Cover 4 Live. That's Jeff Sintel. I'm Brandon Adams. Happy to have Mike Griffith, Connor Raleigh on hand there as well. And all of you here tonight on the Dog Nation video channels. That's the immediate future for Georgia. How about long-term future here for a moment? Georgia announcing this week a non-conference series coming in 26, 2026 and 2027 against Louisville, home and home, where Georgia will go to Papa John Stadium in 2026 and welcome in the Cardinals between the hedges in 2027, kind of following up on what has been a very aggressive run of non-conference scheduling as of late. Let me show you this on the screen here for a moment. Think about this upcoming year with uh, Georgia playing Clemson and Charlotte, of course, scheduled to play Georgia Tech in all of these years, then Oregon next season, then Oklahoma in 2023, then uh, Clemson in 2024, then at UCLA in 2025, a chance to go back to Pasadena for UGA fans there. Of course, UCLA returns back to Athens in 2026, a rematch of a 1981 trip, I believe, uh, UCLA made to Athens, if I'm remembering correctly. Of course, that's, as I said before, the time that Georgia will go to Louisville. Then it's Florida State, Louisville in 2027. Then uh, Florida State, Texas in 2028. Clemson, Texas in 2029. And kind of on and on and goes with a lot more games against Clemson coming up there. I had Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football, the uh, legendary college football writer on SEC Country Live with me yesterday. And he said that he thinks when Georgia made the scheduling move to go to Notre Dame in 2017, that it kind of changed the landscape of college football forever because since then, the Alabamas and really every other big-time college football program have tried to make those creative non-conference series. And Georgia's obviously led the way with as aggressive a brand of scheduling as you can have. And now pretty much everybody in college football even programs who are longtime holdouts on this, Florida, clearly following suit here. So the question comes to, with all those non-conference series that Georgia fans will get a chance to see in future years, Connor, what's one that you haven't gotten scheduled yet if you're Georgia that you think they should get done? Can I give you two? Yeah, give me five if you want. Two, two, <laughs> two very different ones. Um, I'm gonna start. I know they're going to UCLA. I want USC on there. I think California is ripe for the picking in terms of getting prospects out of there. If you can schedule games there, like a la Notre Dame has with Stanford and USC, they play at least one game in California every year. I think you can do that. And, and that's going to – that prestige matchup, you do it there at the Coliseum. You can even do it at SoFi Stadium when they're out there in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. Or you could – I mean, when they, they're obviously going to play in Athens. I don't think Kirby wants to play in Atlanta anymore. Yeah. And if I'm going to go a Big Ten team, I'm going to eliminate Ohio State because they're already playing them. Give me Wisconsin, because I think that'd be a really fun trip. Maybe you do it at Lambeau, like I know LSU did a few years ago. But Wisconsin, he could be in Madison. That'd be great, too. Give me Wisconsin there. I think that'd be a really nice, interesting matchup of styles. I know they're not necessarily the biggest Big Ten team, but I think that'd be a really fascinating matchup and a trip for UGA fans. Yeah, I wondered. I figured you might say a Big Ten team, because that's seemingly like the sort of the most fertile soil for series that Georgia doesn't currently have scheduled. And I agree with you. In addition to the fact that, you know, you know, Wisconsin in some years is kind of a you know, highly rated team, so you have a chance for it to be a big game. What you really have is a chance. If the whole goal is to experience the best of college football, mm-hmm. the tailgating scene in Madison around Camp Randall is obviously yeah. as good as it gets. And, you know, I, I know that Wisconsin was supposed to play Notre Dame at Lambeau Field, I believe, this past season and had mm-hmm. that game taken away from them because of the coronavirus uh, pandemic that we've obviously all dealt with. So, you know, that kind of stuff is kind of in the mix here, playing these games at Lambeau. And I want to say Wisconsin, another big high-profile game taken from the two uh, because of some of the scheduling stuff as of late. But I don't think Wisconsin's a bad name here at all, even though from, mm-hmm. like, national championship-level brand, probably not as big as some of them are. I actually think that's a pretty interesting name. Mike, who would you add to the list for George? Oh, I'm sorry, Connor, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, yeah, so Wisconsin, they might not be a top 10 team, but when Georgia went and played Notre Dame, I know the second time they were a top 10, that first time in 2017, they were only a top 20 team. I believe that was only like a top 20 at best matchup that season. So this stuff can change over time, obviously. And I think Wisconsin is still a big enough, well-known name that I think it'd be a really cool trip for people to go up there for. It's kind of a corny thing to say, but Connor, the thing to me about the Notre Dame trip was, and you're so right about this, that you know, Notre Dame had lost, what, eight times the previous year? Four and eight. Like that. Yeah, Georgia was only eight and five in, the, in their own right. But the game just felt so big because when you're looking around, you know, there are a few places that if you got dropped out of the sky and looked around, you would know exactly where you were. You see the touchdown Jesus. You see the gold dome. You know, the stadium itself in some ways is kind of recognizable. The, you know, the landscape around South Bend. You know, there aren't – unfortunately, there just aren't that many places you can go to and you just look around and you say, I'm obvious. It feels like you're inside of TV. Yeah. You're in a place that you've seen on TV so much. And so if you're thinking about destination road trips or the kind of mm-hmm. cachet uh, non-conference series, it's those, it's those recognizable venues that I think mm-hmm. matter as much as anything else. And I know Georgia wants to get away from neutral site games. I think Lambeau Field is maybe the one exception I would be willing to make for that. Oh, yeah. I, would, I think dog fans would live it up in Lambeau. I think they would have a great time with that. Mike, you got a uh, non-conference series you'd like to see Georgia play? Yeah, I guess I'd weigh in on the Big Ten. It wasn't so long ago I was fortunate. You know, they play a deeper schedule. Uh, so in those four years, I was able to go to all the Big Ten stadiums. Wisconsin's probably five or six. It's kind of overrated. Camp Randall – it shakes when you jump up and down, and uh, and Madison is a cool city, but it, it, you know if you're test driving cars, it's a Dodge Charger, and if you're going to go home and home, you want a Porsche, and you need to go to Ann Arbor in the Big House because that's really uh, the the best the best scene. And I say that as a Michigan State graduate, it mm-hmm. pains me to say that, but but there's nothing like Ann Arbor. Uh, Ann Arbor is the equivalent to Athens in terms of downtown scenes, college scenes, in terms of the restaurants the pubs that the folks in Athens, uh, uh, you know, it just makes Athens such a special place where you really don't want to give away any games unless you absolutely have to, or, or somebody's brain is fogged over with what they call tradition of some sort. But Wisconsin is good. But if I'm going home and home, and BA, you and I had this talk the other day before mm-hmm. I got sick and threw up about Louisville. If you're going to go home and home, make it worth the while, man. Make this really count. Listen, uh, Oregon. Now, I like Connor's point about USC and recruiting, but having JT Daniels, it, it, uh, I, I think that's going to help a lot. Oregon, as far as marquee places I've been that lived up to the to the hype, Austin Stadium was was amazing. I put Austin right there with South Bend and Notre Dame in terms of game day atmospheres and stadium environments. It's unbelievable what the Ducks have going on up there. It's a long way away. It's a bucket list item, somewhat yeah. similar to Tempe, I would say, and Sun Devil Stadium, only newer, nicer, better program. So I'm going to go with Michigan from the Big Ten mm-hmm. when I'm looking for a home and home. If you could pull it off, maybe Tom Crean can call his brother-in-law, Jim Harbaugh, and say, go. hey, I need a favor. Uh, or maybe Jim Harbaugh, like, you know, because to, to me, those towns, I always tell people, I say, what's Athens? Tell me what George's like. If you take Ann Arbor, and you put it on the edge of the Alabama campus, put that together, and you got Georgia. You got this beautiful campus, and you've got this incredible town, which thank goodness some of these merchants have stayed open. Um, you know, the, the pandemic was so hard on the community. It's, you know, you lose these home games for 10 or 15. Now Jacksonville gets the money, but somehow these, some of these businesses have stayed open, thank goodness. 
uh, because it really makes Athens unique. And uh, But to go home and home for me, B.A., it's got to be worth it. I'm with Connor, these neutral site games. The problem with Lambeau, as intrigued as I am, is that, is that first of all, you got to get Wisconsin to go play somebody. If you look at their track record, they don't play anybody. They're yeah, historically, more- you're right about that, yeah. And the second problem is if they play, if you're going to play at Lambeau, they're going to want to play in the Benz. They ain't going to want to come to Sanford Stadium. So that's the thing that, that, that I, I'm kind of reserved on. It's like, yeah, Lambeau would be cool, but you're giving away yet another home game. Well, I'm sort of all of the above on this. I like both of the ones that Connor gave me. And Mike, I really like all the ones that you're giving me there as well. On the Michigan thing, I mean, it goes without saying that if over the course of the next 15, 20 years, if Georgia really is going to take a tour of college football, if you're playing Texas, if you're playing Oklahoma, if you're playing Ohio State, if you're playing, have played Notre Dame, to not play at Michigan would seem to be a little bit of a, a hole on the resume. Not Georgia's not running from Michigan. Michigan's, I don't believe, running from Georgia. It, it just hasn't happened as of yet. But if you're really looking to do everything that needs to be done, there's no doubt Michigan, one of the winningest programs of all time, very recognizable. I, I described before of that thing of if you dropped you out of the sky, you would know exactly where you were. You know, clearly the big house there at Michigan kind of gives that off. You know, um, I've not been to a game there. Sometimes I wonder about the in-stadium vibe with a lot of the wine and cheese alumni that seem to exist around there. But uh, nonetheless, I, I think Mike's 100% right that that's the kind of place I think that Georgia should be going at some point in time, and I, I hope they do. The other thing is, whether it's Outson Stadium in Oregon, you know, I'd add, you know, Seattle there at the University of Washington, kind of the cool scene with Mount Rainier and the – Puget Sound and all that kind of stuff. Just to kind of go to some of these far remote locations, part of that just seems interesting in and of itself because when are you ever going to go to Seattle, you know, in some cases otherwise? So to me, I'm all of the above. I'd love to see all of these uh, non-conference series at some point in time in the future. Jeff, how about you? You got anything else to add to this? You know, it's funny. The, The first thing that came to my mind about adding something to the Georgia schedule, and this is about as devious as I'll ever get, I was wishing we could get a second game in a year with Vanderbilt just for payback from the one that was missing <laughs> um, from uh, now. Mike knows what I'm laughing about. Mike knows what I'm laughing about. That would be a deadly game. But, you know, with this topic, it's funny. A lot of my answers are taken off the board. I feel like that um, Southern gentleman at Thanksgiving that let everybody, all the kids and all the women and everybody else go first. And then you, you get to the turkey and it's like a Charlie Brown turkey by then or maybe a National Lampoon turkey by then. For me, I got different reasons for a couple of names. I said Oregon. Uh, I would say Oregon simply because it's really about the only part of undiscovered country. I I don't know if Georgia fans really realize that they're sitting around having a beverage with their boys or their, uh, their good friends or girls that all of this is getting checked off. You get FSU checked off. You're getting Texas checked off. Notre Dame's already checked off. Oklahoma's already checked off. Um, Ohio state's checked off. We got, we got, we got Mike dropping Michigan bombs. You know, it's always good when Mike gives us some travel advice like TripAdvisor. This is a man with 77.2 million Marriott points to his name probably right now. But, like, him giving a tour of the country is pretty good. But, you know, for me it's Oregon because I know the players would love it. I, 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 bet, I bet you this. I do this all the time. Whenever I talk to a kid, I'm going to tell you that 90% of them have Oregon as one of their two, two dream schools. It's because of um, the Michael James. It's because of Marcus Mariota. It's because of the chrome. It's because of the gear. It's because of all that. Everyone loves them some Oregon. And I know the Georgia players, any player in big-time college football, would love to play Oregon just to get a taste of those ducks and to get what duck meat tastes like. But, you know, for me, 
you know, I really like that Michigan idea too about, you know, who's left, what's left when the, you can go home and you could probably look at that credit card receipt and you can go, Oh boy. But then yeah. you had a great, you had a great memory. I think Michigan also checked. Well, I think you're, Jeff, I think something else you said though, needs to be talked about a little bit more. Cause I think you brought up a really good point. You know, we can all kind of talk about, Oh, how much fun it is to go several hundred miles away. in some of these series that are upcoming for Georgia the truth is, I'm a big believer in the value of regional rivalries as well. And I've talked in the show a little bit, a lot of this related to recruiting lately, about how much fun Georgia Clemson used to be. Well, two other regional rivals, at least that should be regional rivals, that just have not played enough. Uh, another series that you mentioned that Georgia's about to do. Y'all, Georgia versus Florida State. I don't care what the program has been the last couple of years. Mark my words on this. When those two teams play again, when they go home and home, those games are going to be hot as a firecracker. Because you got all those people down there in like Southwest Georgia, Moultrie, Bainbridge, Kirby Smart's hometown, Thomasville. You know, you were just right there. I mean, I don't think people realize how close Tallahassee is to being in Georgia. I mean, you are just below that kind of Southwest corner of the state, all Benny places like that. Um, there is going to be massive bad blood between these two teams when Georgia, Florida State get together in that part of the state. And Honestly, I've been to Doe Campbell. That place can be a lot of fun. It has not been as hot the last few years the way that it used to be when they really had it cranking. But, uh, Mike, something tells me Georgia and Florida State get together in this home-and-home coming up. I believe there may be some paint traded in that particular series of games. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point. You know, I I think Florida State is a a great venue. And and to your point, I think they're kind of like in Nebraska. They still have great tradition. That's one of the – actually, that's that's probably the friendliest and nicest stadium – that you'll ever go to. They actually cheer the visiting team kind of freaks the players out not to get booed and to get compliments. The, uh, the Michigan state players used to talk about that, how weird it was to get cheered when they made a good play on the road. Um, but I think Florida state is kind of like that. That's a, that is a bucket list place to go. If you haven't been to Tallahassee, uh, you know, people Connor's age have a lot of fun there. I mean, that's a good time down there. Connor, have you ever been to Tallahassee? I have not been to that section of the world, but I've heard very good things about it. And I had a couple of friends go there and they had a great time in college. Well, that says it all. Cause you know, I may be the travel expert, but, but Connor knows what's cool. And, and I, I follow his cool meter on things. And if Tallahassee's still in vogue and I'm not too far removed, but I would agree Florida state, but you know, uh, you, you talk about other nearby schools. I, I kind of look at, uh, it sounds crazy, but I, I like that North Carolina. I liked it when Georgia played North Carolina. Stadium's pretty. It is pretty. I'd like, to, pretty. I'd like to see that. But to your point, you said something, you know, something I think we're all agreeing on. I know we kind of go back and forth. Uh, I'm in the back. You guys are the fourth on Jacksonville. But I think everybody here is about doggone sick of Georgia Tech at the expense of a game like Clemson every year. Well, Connor is in favor of the Tech series. I, I'm kind of with you. I'm sort of with you on that, Mike. I'd rather have more interesting games than Tech. It's kind of weird. Like, I'm typically the most – traditional person of all i'm traditional to a fault generally speaking but of the three of us old heads connor's the only and then then obviously connor connor's the only one who really argues for you know in in favor of georgia tech and since mike brought it up connor i'll let you just kind of you know state your premise on this a little bit so we, we just rattled off michigan oregon usc no one said state college yet and i think that really belongs on the list there as well i would love to see georgia and happy valley at, at some point in time you really want to play Tech when you want to play these series we just described? It's obviously a more difficult game in most cases, uh, the kind of games we're talking about. Do you really prefer Tech over these other games? I do. I'm someone who is from this state, the Atlanta area in particular. That game means a lot to me. It means a lot to the people 
that I know. I personally enjoy getting to go to Atlanta every year. It is a little bit more of a home game for me than necessarily going to Athens. And I would just point out, you know, let's say hypothetically they had swapped Georgia Tech off for Clemson in each of these last six, I guess, five years with Kirby Smart there. It sounds great to want to go play Clemson every year, but in how many of those seasons does Georgia actually beat Clemson? It's a harder game, no doubt about that. And and it sounds like it, playing Clemson every year sounds great until you start losing to them like South Carolina. And again, Georgia's obviously better than South Carolina. But when you start losing to them on a regular basis, it sounds a lot less appetizing. Okay, I'm going to ask Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who, go ahead, Mike. Who says they're going to lose? Did, they, did Clemson barely beat Texas A&M? The Clemsons we see by the end of the year when everybody gets to play the third and fourth quarter because they're beating everybody in the ACC by three. That's not the Clemson that starts out the year. That's why I think Georgia's going to be- Why would, I said if you swap Georgia Tech off, and traditionally they'd play that last weekend, would they not? Well, I would certainly not advocate playing Clemson the last week of the season. I think you've got a great point. But then again, I don't think you should play a team that plays dirty and starts fighting, tries to hurt you the week before the SEC. So you just shouldn't play football then. Every football team does. No, 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 no. Georgia. Oh, come on. That team is completely different, Connor. You know that. You saw the fighting and things like that. They know they can't win on the scoreboard, so they try to hurt Georgia's championship hope. Every team does that, Mike. Every team does that. All right. So here's what I want to do. That's I'm going to try to ask a question to all three of you. And I want, let, let's see if we can do this kind of quick because I do want to hit two more topics before we're done here. So you got two things going on. You've got the aggressive scheduling push that I do think is just objectively true that George has led the way on. But you also have like former Mississippi State quarterback Matt Wyatt coming up this week and saying, this is finally the time when the SEC is about to change its scheduling model. Some people wonder if at some point in time, the 10-game schedule we saw league only a year ago increases the appetite for an additional SEC game. So here's the question I want each of you to ask. And, Connor, I'll start with you because I know that you'll give me a good, succinct answer and it'll set the stage for everybody else to do the same thing. What do you think is better for college football? Georgia playing an additional SEC game, Georgia playing an additional high-profile non-conference game? Because as we talked about this week, Georgia now has three Power 5 non-conference games in some of these upcoming years. Is that better? Or would a ninth SEC game be better? For college football, I think it is better if you get these high-profile games more so than a ninth SEC, ninth in-conference game. However, I think for maybe the SEC standpoint, I would make the case that a ninth game is better than that additional uh, big out-of-conference game, if that can make sense. Jeff, what do you think is better? More big-time non-conference games? More SEC games? Because it's going to be hard for everybody to do both. So if you had to choose one or the other, which one you want? This one's easy. It's more uh, that extra SEC game, I think, will enhance the money for the television package with the SEC network. Everybody loves more money. Um, You'll have another game to market. And I also think it will equate the standard across the conference and make everybody have to play that 10-game schedule where you just won't have maybe an Alabama, Georgia, or Florida trying to cherry-pick those big national uh, out-of-conference rivalry games or, you know, budding, create a rivalry game. I think it equates the standards across the SEC. It makes it better for the conference. It makes it better for Georgia. I think that's better. Jump in, but, is that better for, but is that better for college football? Is that better for the SEC? Oh, that's definitely better for the SEC. But I think yeah. this, is a, this is a show where we're trying to think about what's better for Dog Nation, what's better for everybody leaned in and listening. Uh, I think I think that's better for Georgia, better for the SEC. And uh, folks, who are we kidding, man? The whole college football universe revolves around the SEC anyway. So, Mike, let me ask you this. You know, around 1997 or so, Major League Baseball introduced inter- interleague play for the first time, and it was huge business when 
Red Sox, Yankees, Orioles, teams like that first started coming to what was then Turner Field. Ticket sales were much higher for those games than they were the other games that fans had kind of thought they'd seen for a while. But now it's just kind of old hat. I mean, there's interleague play taking place virtually every single night now in Major League Baseball. No one really thinks anything about it. Is there, unfortunately, a byproduct of if you start having too many hot non-conference games before long, it's not quite the novel novelty item that it is now, and all of a sudden it just becomes another thing that we're kind of tired of and used to? I shudder the thought of that of thinking that might actually be true, but eventually will people just get tired of big non-conference games too? Not if it's not if they're at the start of the season. You know, I think if you can kind of follow the basketball model of the preseason games, the non-conference games, maybe you mix in a, a bye game. And in that first week of the season, maybe you've got uh, two bye games and you have a, a home and two home and homes with quality opponents. You, you punt the, the, the worthless series at the end of the year, make it a conference game so that it plays into the drama of who's going to make the SEC championship game a little bit more. And you make maybe that first month, you got two home and homes, one year home, one year away. You got two decent buy games. I think those are important, not just for supporting college football in the lower universities, as Kirby's pointed out, but to give your guys some playing time, to give some guys some opportunity. So September is that month. And then on the back end, you play the schedule. And I, I would go with Connor on the, uh, the value of the home and home over the SEC as far as what's best for Georgia, because Georgia's in the East. If Georgia were in the West, then I might suggest a ninth game would balance things out. But because you have such horrible programs as Vanderbilt uh, and uh, I think South Carolina, although I know they did beat Georgia a couple years ago. But you Tennessee's have, pretty terrible too right now. I wasn't going to say that. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, by the record, yeah, I mean, I guess they're, they've fallen off. At least they show up for their games. I mean, Vanderbilt's spending $300 million for facility. I said, make sure they got a bus so they'll show up for the games because they canceled on Georgia twice and stole the legacy of these players. These guys were making history. And Vanderbilt said no thanks to the female kicker and no thanks to showing any kind of heart or character and skipped out on playing Georgia. That's a bunch of horse crap. But that's Vanderbilt for you, right? I like you just, like, slide right into it. It's like I've yeah. never seen someone who needs less of a runway to, like, just get right into it. I love that. Well, it's well, just so, frustrating. Go ahead, Tom. So, B.A., I have a question for you as someone okay. who – you've referred to yourself as a carnival barker before. Sure. What is more enticing from a, an off-season interest perspective standpoint? Georgia opening the season against Clemson, whether that's a neutral site, wherever that game is played, or Georgia opening the season against Mississippi State? That's definitely Clemson. I mean, there's, yeah. there's, it's not even close. I mean, uh, when you have – I mean, look – everything's about a story, right? When you can tell the story of, hey, these two teams used to beat each other's throat all the time. Now Clemson's kind of on top. Georgia thinks Clemson's gotten a free pass to the top. Now Georgia's trying to show everybody, you know, how good they really are. I mean, that's the story that tells itself. And you're right. There are a good number of SEC opponents for whom it's just not nearly that easy to tell a story. I mean, the fact of the matter is in any given moment, I mean, there's only about half the league that's really all that marketable to begin with, right? And you know, you happen to pick one of the teams that's not incredibly marketable. Um, so, or at least, you know, in, comparatively speaking. So yeah. there's no question, no question that's true. I think that's a really mm -hmm. interesting way to think about that. All right, let me shift gears here. Obviously, as Mike Griffith alluded to a little earlier, by the way, you're watching Cover 4 Live from the Dog Nation video channels with Mike Griffith, Connor Riley, Jeff Sintel, myself, Brandon Adams, that in the midst of some of the weird stuff at spring practice and the injuries that George has dealt with, Jeff – you know, you may have the specifics of history a little bit better memorized than I do. 
the way George has just been knocking them down the last you know week plus in recruiting, I guess it's exactly a week here tonight in terms of the commitments they've rolled off, including our, our friend from the land down under here over the course of the last 24 hours. This is about a hot uh, you know, run as I've seen Georgia on here. Uh, how impressed have you been with uh, just the way in which they have just really flexed? I mean, the, you know, the Malachi Starks thing, you know, you kind of think, well, that's a little bit of a hometown advantage maybe, but gosh, Jalen Walker's on a hometown advantage and Georgia, you know, uh, absolutely swooped in and won that one. I mean, there's a lot to like about Jordan James, the running back. You and I haven't even really talked all that much about James as of late. Uh, how impressed are you with what Georgia's been able to do here? It's funny. We were kind of kidding in our pre-show, Brandon. Was this the first time? It's four and six days, including two top 50 players and a, uh, you know, a top, top 200 running back prospect. Is this the time when, Brandon, you pushed away from the table and you're like, all right, all right, recruiting, that's enough content for me to get through this week. That's At least a, for I, now. Yeah, listen, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I certainly am not easily satisfied, but at least for now I have uh, gotten more than my fill because, Jeff, and you understand this, it's not just that, you know guys like Starks and Walker, and admittedly they are the players that Georgia's gotten as of late that I'm the most familiar with, but it's not just that they're good players and both those guys have a chance to be sensational. These are like locker room leader type guys. I mean, these are, you know, future team captains. They have the the feel of, and, you know, there's just multitudes of ways you can use Starks. You know, Jalen Walker absolutely feels like, you know, kind of like that next great Georgia linebacker that so many people kind of get tabbed with that label. It's the kind of guys they are in addition to the kind of caliber prospect they are. Just fun. Yeah, I think there's only one week uh, in this upcoming 2022 cycle that could probably rival that. And that would be Georgia loading up on a bushel of offensive talents in the same week. But I'm going to be very clear on this. And I hope, I hope every one of you guys hold me to this. Uh, I think Malachi Starks and Jalen Walker at the minimum will have Aziz Ojolari type careers at Georgia. And that's both on and off the field. Uh, I, I think those guys are just made of the right stuff. Uh, Jalen Walker is the son of a coach. And I know uh, a lot of folks will probably wonder, you know, you know, Malachi did take a late trip there to Clemson to check out Clemson, and he would have been a third-generation Clemson Tiger. And for Georgia to lock horns with Clemson, and, and, and folks, Jalen Walker had it very made it very clear to me like two months ago he was probably going to go to Clemson, or Clemson was probably the puncher's chance favorite. And Georgia had 28 days. I think we talked to him last night on Before the Hedges. Georgia sent him an edit every day for 28 days about why Georgia – uh, it was in the evening, usually when he just got back from football practice, North Carolina's practicing and playing its mm-hmm. 2020 fall season in the spring of 2021. Uh, I think I, I think these were huge astronomical commitments for Georgia. And so it's so those guys are so big that somehow you can eclipse a running back, a, a, somebody deciding to join up to RBU. And here's what here's what the world forgets about Jordan James, Tennessee, Jeremy Pruitt, Tennessee. And now the new staff at Tennessee was wanting him to be their anchor recruit. I mean, he was a top flight running back. I think he's a little bit better than that number 17 running back in the country. Why do I say that? Because otherwise, Del McGee wouldn't be recruiting a guy like that. Yeah, um, uh, they, I actually, they actually supersized his Happy Meal on the visit. Oh, <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. Just kidding. Ooh, ooh. Jeff, I will tell you, though, that uh, not everybody forgot that 
uh, he was a prime target for Tennessee. We sort of spiked the football about that on Dog Nation Daily this week. I'm uh, unfortunately uh, not too proud to admit that we were not super classy uh, about the uh, the Jordan James recruitment on this show so, as it relates to the Tennessee Vols this week. Did you spike the McDonald's flat McDonald's bag, or did you spike the football? Because I think the keep it classy Dog Nation Daily punching bag rankings. I think Tennessee is now a strong second there behind Florida. I mean, they're coming on strong, right? Well, you also had Auburn's bass fishing team get suspended this week, so we've also taken some shots at Auburn here this week too. So we've been we've been kind of sprinkling the infield pretty good all week here. Uh, Mike, yes, sir. Doesn't there need to be a McDonald's bag on the Dog Nation Daily Desk? Doesn't that? Oh, there, no, there, 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 there is. Oh, there Mike, is. you're showing yourself that. there. You're telling on yourself. Oh yeah, no! no it's, it, it, it's uh, it's it's almost hey, like a bouquet of flowers. It's got like hundred dollar bills, like like just kind of careening out of it. I mean, yeah, typically when it when it comes to like these improper recruiting allegations, we like to try to keep it a little bit kayfabe around here. But uh, you know, for the most part, um, uh, but nonetheless, we still you know are uh having some fun with that as we should um i forget what you're even talking about connor you got anything to say <laughs> big recruiting weeks are yeah. you know lengths of this a couple that come to mind uh i believe in the 2018 class georgia landed three commitments on the same day uh i know one of those was john emory jr one of those was makaya tong and i cannot remember who the third one was that day um a white maybe it was a wide receiver uh, i'm blanking on that also i believe 2018 the first ever december signing day Georgia landed Cade Mays, Jamari Sawyer, and I believe there was one yeah. more prospect that they landed that day to push them to the number one ranking at that point in time as well. You know, we don't do this anymore in modern times. Channing Tindall. Channing, like the there he is. Of, of like greatest hits albums, things like that. And I don't say this to make fun of any of the players at all. I'm making fun of myself. If we ever compiled a list of me reacting to all the commits that Georgia got that never played a down at Georgia, I think that would be actually be a pretty uh, a, a pretty fun thing all the way around. Those are a uh, pretty fun blast from the past all the way around there. The point is, you know, obviously Georgia recruiting's been good for a number of years, but this has been a great run. And I, I tell you, Jeff, I, I love the personality of this 2022 class, whether it be the offensive guys that all seem to be hanging out together. A lot of these are not Georgia commits as of yet. I certainly hope they do become with Antwi and Delp and guys like that. But they all seem to know Gunner. Gunner knows Malachi. Malachi knows Jalen Walker. Now at least they've seemed to get to got to know each other pretty quick. Um, you know, for fans, that's part of the fun is just the way these guys connect with each other. And you love those bonds. And it seems like this 2022 class with guys, in some cases that I hope end up at Georgia, some guys who are already in the fold, it seems like they are certainly getting to know each other pretty well right now. Yeah, I think the big thing is you hear the what's the talking point now for Georgia during spring practice are these these skull sessions, these psychoanalysis, that's the bonding, the chemistry, working on the dog brain, maybe not so much as working on the dog um, explosive plays. Uh, I think you're bringing in a lot of guys and there's a common thread with a lot of these guys. They're not only very highly rated. Uh, they're sons of coaches. That's Gunnar Stockton. That's Jalen Walker. Um, guys that really um, understand the game. And here's the other thing, and, and I, 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 won't, I won't call maybe cast a stray eye at all the classes in general, but, you know, because Kendall Mark Milton did say natties. I, Connor was with me in California when he kept talking about natties, and it became part of the vernacular for Dog Nation during the time he committed. But, Brandon, there's a lot of guys here that they, they tell me in this class that their dreams are to win championships, plural, at Georgia. It's not play three years in the league and go get a first-round contract and make the NFL. Now, of course, it sounds good to tell a reporter that, but here's the point. 
Uh, a lot of folks don't say that. They simply don't say that. They wait until their fourth or fifth breath to say that, whereas a lot of these guys, it's the first thing out of their mouth. I think it's really interesting. It's uh, Cover 4 Live here with uh, Jeff Sintel, Connor Raleigh, Mike Griffith, myself, Brandon Adams. Happy to have all of you with us. Topic number four tonight as we get ready to wrap things up here this evening. And, uh, Jeff, you had an interesting idea. Today's obviously April 1st, which means April Fool's Day. A lot of Georgia fans were trying to keep us on our toes today with all of that. Thankfully, I did not take any of the head fakes related to uh, April Fool's Day, and I'm certainly happy about that. But you had an idea for maybe a little bit of an April Fool's-themed message going out the door here set this up for us if you don't mind yeah i guess it was kind of i think i think obviously there was some reaction on social media i think people were for trying to pull somebody's leg a little bit to sound like my my papa when somebody's talking about trying to play a joke on somebody but uh I, here's a good one i thought i thought a good april fool's joke uh today would have been uh kirby taps matthew bowling from the track team in order to add speed to receiving corpse I think that's one that a lot of people would have looked at uh, more so than like the, this guy's transferring or, or maybe I think the one that would get everybody right here is uh, Richard LeCount decides that um, he, ne- he, he, he lets out, I never signed with an agent. Uh, I just went through the process. I'm going to come back and play my fi- play an extra season at Georgia. I think that's the spirit of what the topic we were kind of shooting for, which would be the best possible, coolest April Fool's headlines for Dog Nation. I mean, kind of these Georgia fans, they can show a little teeth every now and then when the news does not really fit, you know, what they're looking for. I don't know that I'd have the guts to go like head first into a big April Fool's type thing. Because, A, some of these April Fool's jokes that some of the Georgia fans are passing around on the internet hit a little too close to home for my taste, to be completely honest with you. Uh, So... To anybody who's got the guts to go full bore or something like that, honestly, I think you deserve whatever's coming your way. So not to go full Mike here, but April Fool's is one of the stupidest things we as a society do. I cannot stand it. The only good April Fool's jokes are when parents play them on their unsuspecting children. For example, I saw today one family told their kids that Baker Mayfield had gotten traded to the Steelers. It is the only acceptable form of April Fool's jokes. As someone who loves jokes, pranks, and things like that, this day as a whole is a bleach on our society. Yeah, but I gotta, I gotta, I gotta see you and raise you on this though. For as bad as you feel about that, you know, from the family man standpoint, I hate St. Patrick's Day even more. Now, listen, mm-hmm. for a lot of you like singles, y'all are out there, you know, doing your thing at bars, at least you used to back in you know normal times, and that's all fine and good. But when you bring children the fold for St. Patrick's Day. Everybody wants to do the pinching and the stuff like that. Equally dumb. I can't stand it. I can't stand Equally it. Equally dumb. I, I would go miserable holidays. I'd say St. Patrick's Day, number one. I agree with you. I think April Fool's Day is totally played out. And then obviously Valentine's. Everybody hates Valentine's Day. So that would be uh, number three on my list. Jeez. Of, so like fun. Of bad Sorry, Gina. <laughs> no, I love, listen, I love holidays, Jeff. I just don't like those three. I, I don't like getting pinched on St. Patrick's Day. I don't like uh, these, you know, uh, tired jokes on 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 social media for april fool's day and well no one hold, hold on hold on hold on now now brandon i need to hear this the world needs to hear this what are your acceptable approved holidays because you just wiped out 30 percent of all the holidays no right I, I, I love christmas love thanksgiving we're about to celebrate uh easter this weekend obviously who doesn't love easter everything about easter is uh great um i like everything else <laughs> but the ones i just mentioned don't like getting pinched for saint patrick's day don't like getting fooled for April Fool's Day. And, you know, I got no use for Valentine's Day either. Mike, you back me up on this, right? You don't like any of those holidays I just mentioned, right? Yeah, you know, it, it doesn't matter. They're all work days. I'm going to go with 
uh, my April Fools is Georgia is going to start playing a neutral site game against South Carolina and Myrtle Beach every year. Georgia fans can't get enough beach. Got to go to Jacksonville for Florida. Myrtle Beach plays neutral site. You get you on joke? it only takes that sound, You joke? That sounds awesome to me. Yeah. If Georgia was playing, first of all, Myrtle Beach would be the greatest golf destination, certainly in uh, Southeast, very close to it. Um, you're telling me that Georgia could play, like, what is it? Uh, what's the Chanticleer Stadium there, which is just kind of outside yeah. Myrtle Beach? You, you told me that Georgia could play South Carolina in that stadium every year. We don't have to go to the armpit that is Columbia. Um, so you get, see, all of a sudden now you'd have uh, you'd have me uh, very disappointed. That's a game I'd, I wouldn't – I'd love to see that. Yeah, it'd be great. Seafood, play some golf, watch some college football. I'd have no problem can, with that whatsoever. They could play Missouri and St. Louis in a neutral site game too. Go see the Arch and uh, take in Anheuser-Busch's uh, beer plant. Have yeah, that one I'm not quite as excited about. But uh, playing in Myrtle Beach, I got no problem with that. All right, uh, cover four, that is that. How about we do some cover more here? Take a couple questions and comments on our way out the door as a part of a cover four live here tonight. See if I can uh, pull this up and get going. Here we go. Uh, A couple comments. Um, Kevin Cook says, no, I like Halloween, Kevin. Uh, I like Halloween. I I like everything except the three that I just mentioned. I'm a – listen, I'm the biggest, like, Griswold-type holiday guy in the world. Don't peg me as someone who doesn't like holiday. Anti-holiday. Yeah, don't pay holiday. holiday. I just don't like the three that I just I just don't like the three that I just mentioned. You got any problems with Flag Day, Brandon? Is Flag Day okay for you? Are you kidding me? I'm I'm a, I'm a Patriots patriot. You better believe I love Flag Day. <laughs> I, I, I'm the biggest patriot in this room, uh, and I say that with all due respect to the uh, man who served, Mr. Griffith. Um, let's see what else. A couple more here. Jesse Jones says, tired of having to work selling car warranties on these holidays that don't allow time off. That's the other thing, too. It's like, you know, some of these holidays, I mean, April Fool's Day is not a day off, so technically it shouldn't even count as a holiday anyway. I kind of agree with him on that. Groundhog Day, Brandon, we need to hear this. What do you, how do you feel about Groundhog Day? I got no problem with Groundhog Day. I mean, obviously the, you know, the, the movie tie-in's a little played out now. Uh, Tenille Cal- okay, look, Tenille Calvino, who backs me up on this, she says, I'm right there with you when it comes to Hallmark holidays. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great way to describe that. Valentine's Day is a Hallmark holiday. It's not a, it's not a legitimate thing. Gene, I am so sorry that you have to deal with this. Um, Peyton Wilson says you call it the Myrtle Beach mullet bowl every single year. Y'all laugh. I'd do it in a heartbeat. My theory's always been, we'll get ready to wrap up after this, that I think the, the bowls that are at the lowest ring of the ladder, rung of the ladder, the ones that take place before Christmas, are the most interesting bowls until you get to like the college football playoff. Myrtle Beach, New Mexico, Bahamas. The Bahamas. Yeah, the Bahamas. Um, it's like Las Vegas is right there, you know, kind of right there before you get to Christmas. I always think that instead of going to like Tampa every year, which for a good while Georgia was kind of stuck doing, you know, give me a chance to go to some of these bowls down there, kind of like the bottom end of the, of the bowl ladder, not Birmingham preferably, but um, some of the rest of these. Honestly, I think that'd be really fun. I mean, Myrtle Beach would not be a bad place to go. Bahamas. I like that. I like that. Bahamas. Maybe Georgia, maybe Georgia and Ohio State can play in the Bahamas one year. That'd be a that'd be a that would be a fun, fun trip. By the way, SCC dog. This one hits a little close to home. He says, here's his April Fool's joke. BA starts dog nation daily every morning right there at 10 a.m. Sharp. <laughs> SEC. <laughs> oh, I wish. Oh, yeah. I wish. That's not, boy, that's tough, man. That's tough. I give and I give and I give and I just absolutely get right between the eyes. Steve Self says, How do my wife feel about Valentine's? She don't care about Valentine's either. Listen, when you, 
you know, we have Valentine's Day 365 days a year. We don't. Uh, we don't need. Uh, oh, hold, hold on, Brendan. How how long were you a a active and willing participant for Valentine's Day? How how many years did you go through the charade before you're finally in that stage of your relationship where you're like, all right, we're good, right? We're good. Like, how many years? Did, how did the romantic I'm, Brendan listen, Adams? Jeff, I'm not going to let the cultural elites tell me how to show affection. <laughs> I couldn't even say it with straight. <laughs> I'm not gonna let the cultural leaks tell me when to show affection to my uh, significant other, my spouse. I don't. I don't need them to tell me that. I, I, I can do that right now. I can, uh, you know, pull out some candy right now and flowers, whatever else. It doesn't have to be February the 14th. Um, can't you know, can wait. Corporate. Can't wait to hear your stories about anniversaries. Anniversaries <laughs> is a holiday, correct? No, I love anniversaries. Are you kidding me? Love anniversaries. Big deal there on that front. Hey, but enough about me. Thanks to all of you for being with us here today. Uh, Mike, you anything to say before we go out the door here? Nope. Good to know. All right. Uh, Mike and Connor do have good stuff coming from the website here this weekend. Jeff does as well. Jeff will also be with me tomorrow, 10 a.m. sharp for uh, Dog Nation Daily. Look forward to doing that with you uh, then. Sharp. 10 a.m. sharp. Absolutely. And we'll obviously see you here really soon as we get closer to G-Day and a spring practice for Georgia that's really been really fun to see. So we'll follow all that for you. Thanks for being here. Cover 4 Live here on the Dog Nation video channel. Y'all have a great night.